Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter and I'm your host Sean McCraney. You know the drill. If you have friends or family who can't watch the show on their television sets, have them go online. Go to www.bornagainmormon.com. They click on TV shows and it will give them instructions on how to watch the show through live screaming video. Uh, we have quite a very handsome group tonight here in the studio audience. We have Janet, Mary Ellen, Eileen, Karen, Linda, June, Joan, Derek, Tom, Desiree, Richard, uh, Klaus, and Bailey. So uh, a shout out to all of them. I'm glad that they're here. Also some further shout outs. We have Grandma Denny. I hope you're feeling better. A special happy birthday to Susan Mehmet. Your daughter loves you. To Brendan, Brennan and his wife, come to Lord's Word Sunday uh, mornings, 9.15 a.m., Brennan, and we'd love to see you there. Alice L., great speaking with you, my sister. Donnie Hill, our prayers are with you, and uh, your operation, Holly, thank you always for the information. Jimmy B., Ramona, Grace, and Trinity. The Chorus family, Troy Foster, Give it all over to the Lord. Troy, he uh, is calling out to you. Trust in his promises. Uh, a lovely Christian woman at Oasis Books in Logan. Ted Stokes from the Sports Academy in Logan. Bob at the cafe. And a special shout out and thanks to my good friends Corey and Lucy in Logan who took good care of me while I was up there this past week. I love and appreciate you both so much. I was a born-again Mormon book. It's the book that started this whole thing. It is not anti-Mormon literature, which you love to assign that label to me. Anti-Mormon. I am no more anti-Mormon than I'm anti-whatever. I'm just not anti-Mormon. The book just talks to you about a relationship with Jesus as a Latter-day Saint. It's available in Benchmark Books, Oasis Books in Logan, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, Christ Evangelical in Orem, Christian Gift and Bible in Springville, and Grace and Gift in, in uh, no, Christian Gift and Bible in Draper and Sandy, and Grace and Gift in Springville. Okay, hope I got that right. Uh, looking for a good church in your area, you can go to the website. We recommend a lot of churches. If your church is not on that website, have patience with us. 
We will try to get that on there, send our church scouts out. There's a lot of very good Christian churches, Christian pastors, ministers, reverends, all those appellations out there, and we want to support them all. We frequently get questions about our ministry's finances and inquiries on how to donate. Something we don't like to talk about, but by necessity we will. Let me respond with a passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Paul says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. What does this say? It says, give if your heart tells you to give. Do not give grudgingly. Do not give if you don't want to. Don't give if you feel uh, manipulated. And don't give out of necessity, it says. A lot of churches, a lot of ministries will say, we have a need in order to stay on the air or in order to pay for this building. We have a need, a necessity for you to baloney. That's not our way at all. God has provided for us from the beginning because of people, and he will continue to. So this is how it is. Our policy is if God compels you to give, give. If he doesn't, don't. And now, how do you do it? If you want to, you can go to the website, www.bornagainmormon.com. Click on the respond page, and there's a way to do it there. Or you can send an offering to Aletheia Ministries. I think there's a graphic on the screen, and that's at 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84104. We appreciate all the support, whether it's financial. The prayers you offer are vital to this ministry, and we are so grateful for those. And also for telling other people about the show. It helps the message get out there. So, Okay, last week I told you about a documentary in the making called A Mormon President. It's supposed to air on some very big channels coming out. Well. A two-minute trailer for it is out. It's online. It's available at www.amormonpresident.com. But we're going to show you the trailer here tonight. So let's take a look. I'd love to see Mitt Romney go to the White House. Yes, I think America's ready for a Mormon president. No way a Mormon is going to get in the White House. The odds of him being elected president are zero. What happened when the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith ran for president? If America knew the power seeking that was in Joseph that continues to be in the LDS church today, they would be very frightened to have a Mormon president. Was there a political conspiracy to murder Joseph Smith? Is anti-Mormon prejudice still alive and well in America today? I've gotten several comments of like, you're a Mormon and you're in a cult. Their doctrine does not reflect Christian teaching as we understand it. It makes me crazy if somebody ever accuses me of not being Christian. And the name of the church says it all right there. Why are Americans in such disagreement about the Mormon church? They would love to take over the world, and I think they believe that they will someday do it. There's a lot of rumors out there, and most of them without basis. Every single thing connected to Mormonism is a byproduct of the embodiment of Joseph Smith. He had been dragged from his home in an effort to kill him, and a Protestant minister was a member of that mob. Today, Protestant leaders reject Joseph Smith as a false prophet. You can't understand the challenge facing Mitt Romney until you know the untold story of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Explore the controversy surrounding Joseph Smith and the Mormon quest for the White House. Prophet of God, polygamist, politician, 
Who was Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith is a puzzle. Larger than life. I would say Christ-like. It would have to be charlatan. He was a mighty prophet. A mighty prophet of God. Join the debate, the drama. Make your decision. Is America ready for a Mormon president? All right. Well, that you can watch that again if you'd like. I don't know if you had audio. We didn't have it here in the studio, but you can watch that again at www.amormonpresident.com. My, uh, you know that my history in Southern California, we, I grew up LDS and my daughters are still members of the church. So is my wife and they have all, most of their friends are LDS. Last week, my daughter went to a beach party, said goodbye to a good friend, CJ Talatena, who was going on his LDS mission. His mother and father, uh, sisters, brothers, and himself climbed into a car. And in Nephi, uh, two days ago, the father fell asleep and crossed the divider and killed the father. The mother is in intensive uh, care and operations, and the children are all injured. Our hearts go out to that family, and so let's include them in prayer as we go before the Lord now. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to talk about you, to present uh, your word relative to uh, a gospel that does not bring people to you. We ask you to bless the Talatana family. We ask you to bless the miners in this state and everybody who is struggling with a life, knowing that as they draw close and as they know you, they will have peace and comfort in their lives. We pray for the show, the operators, the audience, and the viewers. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about polygamy for the past number of weeks, uh, and staying true to form, we carried polygamy out, and now we're going to go back to where we, Joseph kind of started in polygamy, 1831, and we're going to go forward talking about the developmental doctrines that uh, sort of take Mormonism at that time and set it apart from Christianity, all right? These doctrines, in my opinion, find their ultimate expression in today's LDS church through the temple. And so we're going to call this show a preface to the temple. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about all the things that built the foundation for the temple and the temple works and rites and ordinances. And then for the next few weeks, we're going to examine the temples, their history, uh, everything about them that we can to help you understand what they're all about. So let's lay some historical information down. Several weeks ago, before we delved into the polygamy, we talked about Joseph moving his recently established church from the New York area, his stomping grounds in the Burned Over District, to uh, Kirtland, Ohio. And we mentioned that when Smith, the Smiths arrived in Kirtland, they met with a bunch of very charismatic converts who had joined the LDS church, the Mormon church, but had a at a variety of, of very unique spiritual outbursts that they would do, from tongues to seeing visions to papers hanging in the sky that had, that had scripture on them. There was a whole bunch of things. Joseph shut these practices down as a means to retain his control and to save his movement from going the way that many movements at that time did, where spiritual chaos led to their destruction. All right? Paradoxically, Joseph also sought at the same time for the saints to experience some miraculous endowment of power. Um, I'm really excited about sharing this information with you tonight because it allows us to begin to see where Joseph's Mormonism 
begins to sort of coagulate and then kind of shake and break loose from what was otherwise sort of a traditional Christian bent at the start. Let me be fair. Aside from the fabrication of origin stuff, where the Golden Plates and where the Book of Mormon came from, aside from that stuff, Mormonism, early Mormonism, was really built on a fairly, fairly sound Christian ethic. All right? Just, Joseph did provide an inauthentic book with an inauthentic story but he, and, and, about how it was translated, but he seemed to do this in order to try to quell all the religious fervor in the burned-over district where he lived and to help his family come to terms uh, about religion and unite, okay? He was young. I don't justify it, but it seems like his intentions, it seems his intentions initially could have been pure, even though he went the wrong way about it. The Book of Mormon that he presented to the world teaches that Jesus is the Savior, repentance, baptism, grace, spiritual rebirth, righteous living, and a repetitive cycle of humility followed by blessings, followed by pride, followed by destruction, which we find in the Bible uh, as well. Because the Book of Mormon cut and pasted heavily from biblical themes, the early message of Mormonism resonated to the Bible-believing people. When they heard what Mormonism was about, it sounded like the Bible, and they loved the Bible, and they, they just thought, well, this is, must be a true record, and the miraculousness of it, so I'll follow it along, and the converts grew. Taking a lead from the Bible and the Book of Mormon text, Joseph then began to uh, emphasize some unique things. And he first started talking about consecrated living and the uh, united order and living together and everybody having all things in common. In fact, Joseph said, quote, one man should not possess that which is above another. So he had a bent toward living in this communal society that he thought the Bible and the Book of Mormon uh, portrayed. Once the foundation was set, more and more quote-unquote advanced thoughts start, started creeping in in this young visionary's mind. This is nothing new to most uh, shaman-type leaders, religious leaders. They all tend to start off with the basics, and they sound like, boy, this is, this is good Christianity. And then they spin off into the ether with some non-biblical take or, or another, and it just starts to bloom and get worse and worse. And you find that with any religious group that starts off in a Christian sense, and the leader is charismatic and, and kind of out there. And, then you, and we've all seen that. We've seen it in their history. We've seen it in tragedies of death. And we see it even on television today, where they start to go a little askew. In time, an image of a new Jerusalem came into being in Joseph's mind, and he wanted the saints to establish a place called Zion here in America, wherever the Lord so indicated. At the same time, he was looking for, quote, tremendous endowment of power and light that would be bestowed upon the saints, another day of Pentecost, if you will. Because Joseph was teaching that this was the restored church, they had to have their own day of Pentecost like the early church did. And so he was constantly looking for the spiritual experience. He called it a spiritual endowment of power that would come and all the people would experience this thing uh, collectively. In a revelation that told Joseph Smith to move from New York to Ohio, he said, quote, this is God talking, I will give you my law and you shall be endowed with power from on high. This is the key. 
where mere Christians spent their days praising God who granted them forgiveness for their sinful hearts and hands, Joseph envisioned a faith where eight-year-olds were supposed to come to that idea, and then the spiritually mature adults were to spend their time in an apprenticeship to become a god. Okay, you understand that. The first principles of the gospel, faith, baptism, repentance, gift of the Holy Ghost by one with the authority of hands, that all was supposed to come into and still in the LDS church comes into an eight-year-old when they reach the age of accountability. Those are the basics of the gospel. And then they're supposed to move line upon line, precept upon precept as an apprentice to becoming a god. The temple plays a key role in that. We'll discuss that in the weeks to come. While eagerly awaiting this endowment of power to come from heaven for the saints, Joseph and his brethren experienced several unique false alarms. At one meeting held in 1831, Joseph, quote, claimed to see God with Jesus Christ as his right hand as he sat there with his brethren or his friends. This announcement, however, got very ugly soon thereafter in this meeting when Joseph decided to lay his hands on a Harvey Whitlock and give him what Joseph called the high priesthood. When he gave Whitlock the high priesthood, the history says that Whitlock, Whitlock's skin is said to have turned black and his fingers morphed into claws. Then suddenly, one Lehman Copley, a 200-pound-plus man, was randomly flipped up in the air where he somersaulted, then landed back on the very bench where he was sitting originally. This is some scary stuff. And uh, I'm sorry, but the imagery cracks, cracks me up. He a 250-pound guy is thrown up in the air and lands right back down on the same seat while another guy's hands are turning into claws and his skin turns black from Joseph giving him the high priesthood. Anyway, according to John Whitmer's record, this false alarm moved many of the men in that meeting right onto the road to permanent apostasy. And I don't blame them. But it was also at this meeting that Joseph ordained five men to this high priesthood thereafter. And then Lyman White ordained 18 others, including Joseph Smith. Now, the word priesthood had a long negative... Um, connotation to the Protestant Christians at the time because they envisioned holy men draped in robes and robbing the poor of their money and their land and promising heaven if they did certain things to ring a bell. But Joseph overcame these attitudes which were undoubtedly passed on to him from his father and grandfather by reaching back over Catholic history and into ancient Israel uh, to the temple rituals and he, which he reestablished as necessary for, uh, to act in the name of God and to receive a complete exaltation. Now, even at this point, a high priesthood had yet to fully materialize in Joseph's visionary head. But like everything else with Joseph, he was not afraid to reverse it and reform anything retroactively. Um, in fact, in 1831... Even though men in his church had been ordained to the offices of elders, teachers, and priests and were given authority accordingly, this was done without, listen to me, these offices and authority were done without any reference to them receiving any sort of priesthood. In other words, like so many other things in Joseph's life, he implemented a need for priesthood later on backward and said, now, now, now this is going to make sense. 
and he did it constantly. This is why there's a story that the missionaries tell when they go to doors of Peter, James, and John coming from the past and ordaining, uh, giving the Melchizedek priesthood authority to Joseph. This is categorically not true. There's no record or evidence of it. It was something that was Joseph, they put back in the history to make a chronological sense of this authority that they were supposed to have gotten for God. Now, the missionaries are unaware of this completely, and they will sit there straight-faced and with humility, and they'll tell you the story of Peter, James, and John, but the thing is a complete fabrication. Don't trust me. Search it out for yourself. Read Grant Palmer's book, An Insider View of Mormon Origins. Go to utlm.org and check out the facts. I don't blame the Mormon missionaries. They have been taught this. They believe this, but it is not part of the history. The blame lies, you see my hand, finger, the blame lies at that high rise up there where the brethren allow these, these young men to keep being taught this stuff, and they then perpetuate it door to door, and people believe it, buy into it, go into the whole authority thing, and it's nothing, I'm sorry, it's nothing but a lie. Joseph then, he learned that this endowment of power that they sought for was not going to come by virtue of some manifestation like they had at the day of Pentecost, and so he tied it to this high priesthood. He said, quote, The power of godliness is manifest, and without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of God is not manifest unto men in the flesh. In other words, this priesthood was going to bring the saints the endowment of power they had been looking for. Now, I know this seems like a whole bunch of sort of unrelated material, but in actuality, it culminates and gives legs to the underpinnings and foundation of the reason that these temples dot the land. Now, just as a refresher, the Bible is clear that only two people ever held a Melchizedek or higher priesthood in the Bible. Melchizedek was the first, and we've talked about him being a Christophany of Jesus, and Jesus himself, who were both manifestations of God's high priests. Melchizedek, Old Testament, Jesus, New Testament, final high priest. But Joseph had the audacity to say that the high priesthood was bestowed upon, quote, as many as believed on his name. Do you see what he did? He reached back into ancient Israel. He reinstituted the need for a high priest and a high priesthood where the Bible is clear that we all have a final high priest who is eternal and endless making intercession for us before the throne of God. And his name is Jesus Christ. Remember, friends, God had high priests working in his temple who once a year on the Day of Atonement, a sacrificed an unblemished lamb, went into this Holy of Holies, rope tied around their waist, bells on the hems of their garments, so if they fell over or passed out, the other people could pull him out because they didn't want to get struck dead for entering the Holy of Holies. And this high priest would offer the blood of this unblemished lamb on the altar as atonement or covering, that's what the atonement is, a covering for the sins of Israel, all right? When Jesus came and offered himself up as the unblemished lamb, the final, ultimate, and permanent high priest, enters into the Holy of Holies, that is God's presence, forever, eternally, and once and for all. Hebrews 9.11 says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Do you have that? 
Jesus Christ became a high priest in a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not temples. Okay, it says that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. There is no need for the office of a high priest for any man on this earth today. And what are the LDS high priests? What are they about? What are they doing? Go into any LDS ward on this earth. And you walk in there into the high priest group meeting and you're going to find a bunch of aged men with gray hair who are wondering who's going to take over the next progressive dinner assignment. It has absolutely nothing to do with the holy calling of a high priest. Nothing. And, 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 and they, they assign themselves these titles and they arrogantly and pompously say, well, I'm a high priest in the LDS church. Well, good for you. It has nothing to do with biblical truth. And Joseph reinstituted this thing. And now these men walk around never recognizing the true high priest who once and for all offered his blood eternally and forever for us and makes intercession with the Father on a day-to-day -day basis. It's a stinking mockery. It's a mockery. And Jesus, with Jesus being on anyone who calls themselves a high priest today is mocking the final, singular, and eternal sacrifice of Jesus. Because he did it. And that's what, it, that's what Melchizedek was. He was a picture of Jesus to come. I think Joseph had a gift for, for making everything appear holy. He was a great religious synthesizer, the greatest religion maker the world has ever seen. But none of his religious revisions, starting around 1831, even after the Book of Mormon came out and was kind of a Christian book, all the rest of the stuff really started spiraling, all right? Uh, I mean, if you're going to take a physical representation, he had grown the beard, grown the hair, and was wearing white clothes and walking around uh, claiming things that were unreal. If you have a physical representation of his spiritual revelations. Now, most of Joseph's revelations up until this time, before the, right when they went to Ohio, were very, um, they, they were suited to serving his needs. He, uh, uh, he gave revelations from God that would make sure a, a labor was done or that a certain bill was paid. And none of them tied into the spiritual stuff. But uh, he then started to prophesy and receive revelations that were centered around a uh, fanatical millennialist attitude. The Jesus is coming back. We have to get ready for this. And most of this stuff that happened in Ohio and Missouri was all built around a millennialist fervor that Jesus is coming and we have to do this as quickly and as earnestly as possible before the second coming. Then in 1832, Joseph introduced four revelations which can be found in today's Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, 84, 88, and 83. And this is at the point where Mormonism, if it ever had any relationship to Christianity, broke apart at the seams. Because this is where he starts talking about the exaltation of man or of men and women becoming gods, okay? When you think of the temple that is sitting here in Salt Lake or St. George or Ogden or Logan or any of those, think of the exaltation of man because you'll notice that the spires all point up. You'll notice that the uh, ironwork at the gates around the temples, they all are pointing up. Everything is for man to exalt and move up into the heavens. And the whole thing is a processional 
picture of man becoming more and more exalted. Now remember in Christianity, the operative word that describes the good news is salvation or being saved. But here in 1832, Joseph begins to dabble with the term exalted. Now just think for a minute of these two words, and I'm going to end with this. Salvation, exaltation. I'm being, I was saved, I'm being exalted. What do those two terms say to you about the person and how they apply it to themselves? What is the attitude of a person who knows they have been saved from hell and eternal death because Jesus has paid and forgiven them of their sins? It's one of humility. It's one of a broken, contrite spirit that, of gratitude. Okay? What is the attitude of a person who believes they are in the process of being exalted toward becoming God? That is the operative difference between Mormonism and Christianity today. Bob Millett, my favorite guy at BYU, scholar, very wise guy, he says we're the same. Christians, Mormons are Christians, Christians are Mormons, all the whatever he's saying, you know, hey, we are all in common, not in the least, my friends. And if you understand the differences between I've been saved to I'm being exalted, you will understand the differences between Mormonism today. Let's go to the phones, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. In the meanwhile, while the operators are getting those calls, I have a bunch of uh, emails. Hi, Sean. I just wanted to thank you for what you're doing to show. My husband, Cody, and I tune in every week. You're very entertaining, but more important than that, you speak the truth so desperately need to be heard. My husband and I are former LDS, whom in the past year have truly come to know the Lord Jesus and his mercy and glory. In fact, we are even baptized this past weekend. Our lives have been more full of joy and love for everyone and for most of all the Lord and Savior. I knew what the word Savior was before I was saved intellectually. But in my heart, I really had no idea. Now I know, K-N-O-W, all uppercase, and I just wish that everyone could feel what we feel. Uh, and she goes on to thank, that is uh, Sammy who wrote that. So um, we praise God for this in your life and anyone else's life. And we're gonna go uh, as the operators continue, but we have Nikki on line two. We'll go to Nikki. Nikki, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean? Yes? You almost answered my question. Um, I'm calling to, I wanted to ask you, um, how come the Mormon churches never have a cross? They always have that upside-down steeple, which I've been told uh, kind of represents the nail that went in Jesus' hand. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, don't, I think it really more uh, stands for the progress of man that we look for uh, going up. And you're right, the cross does not play a role in uh, LDS theology, except for the fact that they admit that Jesus died on it. We have a show in 19, um, 19, 2006 called The Cross, and anybody who wants to learn more about the LDS views of it might turn to that. But like you, you may be well aware that... Uh, uh, all the biblical references to Jesus and his atonement, suffering, death, are, is a cross, never a garden. So yes, they, I, just, they just don't uh, recognize it. Well, that's kind of strange. Yeah. That upsets me. 
Isn't that isn't that sad? <laughs> yes, I wear a cross all the time, yeah. and I was uh, raised in the Mormon Church. That is, uh, I was baptized in it because I did, at eight years old I didn't have that much say so. But uh, my grandfather was a Mormon bishop in Southern Utah, but uh, it um, there's just no sense to it to me. Yeah. Well, praise God, you know the Lord, and we'll pray for our LDS brothers and sisters that yes. they will too. And, and God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much, Nikki. You bet. Bye-bye. I want you to know, because of the emails we get, and, you know, let's just, let me just say this again, because new people are watching. I am not anti-Mormon. I am not, I do not hate you. I, do, I don't uh, just sit there and bash on Mormons. I'm just trying to help you see the differences between what you've been taught and what the actuality is, and how Jesus is the answer. We say in our ministry right off the bat, you want to stay Mormon? Go ahead. Let's just put that argument aside. Let's talk about your relationship with the Lord. Have you been born again? Do you know you're saved? And I, when I mean saved, I mean living with God when you die, not saved in the sense of being able to be resurrected as the LDS talk. Okay, let's go to Murray, line three. Murray, I mean, Douglas, you're on uh, Heart of the Matter. Sean, how are you tonight? Douglas, good. How are you? Uh, wonderful. You know, I was a Mormon for 53 years. Virtually all of my relatives, going back eight generations to the pioneers coming across the plains, they were industrious, hardworking people that settled the West. So, you know, virtually all of my cousins, my family, my brothers and their families, you know, these are, these are good Mormon people. I'm like you. I love the Mormon people. It's the terrifying doctrines that that uh, takes them outside of Christianity, right. that becomes totally unbiblical, like becoming a god, uh, Lucifer and, and Jesus being our brothers. And then, you know, Joseph Smith, when they were in Nauvoo, the one picture that I always see when I close my eyes is that great big helmet that he wore. He was riding that horse. He was the mayor. He was the head of the Mormon militia. Yeah. And he was, the city of Nauvoo was bigger than Chicago. Yeah. And he was seeking the presidency of the United States. Yep. And, and I think most of the major changes in the Mormon church as it progressed and moved from New York uh, to Ohio and Missouri and Illinois, many of the things that were major changes were his way of taking serious control. Yeah. Now, there was a guy who truly believed he was the go-to guy and the only guy. Yeah. Brigham Young once said, no one can go and, and enter the kingdom of heaven without Joseph Smith's approval. Uh, now, that I'm in big trouble Joseph if that's Smith true. <laughs> in a position a little bit like Jesus, and that's scary to me. It's scary to me too, Doug. Douglas, thank you so much. I miss seeing you. Come around sometime. I will. You're going to be down there at the... Uh... At Denny's. Denny's. All right, brother. Okay. We'll have see a you good later. one. Bye-bye. Listen, we have Travis from Salt Lake City, but I got to tell you, we had some people talking about fast offerings, and this email, I can't let it slip by. This person said the way they got uh, the church to leave them alone on coming to their door every month and saying, hey, will you pay us some uh, money for your 
fast offerings is that there's a slip and you can check where you want your money to go to and he put on his slip he checked I would like these uh, donations to go to Sandra Tanner's Utah Lighthouse Ministries and he sent it in the envelope and he said he got a visit from the bishop a week later he said we can't accept this offering and uh, they never bothered him again so uh, if you want a way to uh, to get them off your back, you might suggest that. Maybe some of it will slip through and Sandra will uh, benefit from that. I thought that was funny. And let's move forward. Ryan in Salt Lake City. Ryan, Ryan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, doing well, Ryan. How are you? Good. I have a couple questions for you, if I could, if that was all right. Yes, please. Okay, first of all, I just want to know what you do for a living. I, uh, I worked for uh, 12 years as a stockbroker. And um, now I work for California State Parks in Crystal Cove, California, which is between Laguna Beach and uh, Corona Del Mar. And I work at a parking lot overlooking the ocean. And I write my shows and books and things from there. Gotcha. My, uh, my second question for you is I understand you're an LDS missionary. Yes. And I'd just like to know, do you think you ever had a legitimate testimony of the Church of Jesus Christ at any point? I think my, my testimony was as legitimate as anyone's LDS testimony. Did you ever claim that you had an, a legitimate LDS testimony? To certainly, us? certainly. Okay, so do you, do you think that the Spirit was lying to you at that point, or what do you think exactly that manifestation was? Well, I'm not sure that what I thought was the Spirit, uh, uh, well, I can't even say I'm not sure. I'm sure what was manifesting itself as a Spirit to me was more a combination of what I had been taught mixed with my wanting it to be true. Uh, the reason I can say that it wasn't the Spirit of God is because the things I was teaching were contrary to His Word. So therefore, the Spirit of God wouldn't be the thing that's leading me to say those things. So it had to have been the Spirit of something else. So at no time during your ministry did you feel right about what you were doing? Oh no, I felt very right about what I was doing on my mission. But remember, I had cut my teeth, uh, cradle to... Uh, to when I went on my mission on the LDS teachings. You know, I was told over and over again by everybody these stories which just are categorically not true. So, you know, I, I, I'm sorry to the people that I, I bore testimony to that the church was true, but I did what I thought was right at the time. Okay, so if the Spirit of Christ is always present, don't you think that he would have you would have never felt his Spirit present if you were teaching lies to those people? Well, I'm not, I, you, you didn't say, you didn't hear me say, I thought the Spirit of Christ, which is a term that Latter-day Saints use, you didn't hear me say that I thought I had that with me. Okay. Well, I, uh, I, hope, I hope everything works out for you. My last question is, were you at any time offended by anybody in the church? I'm just, I'm just trying to understand Understand what... why I do what I do? Uh, let me tell you something, and, and I might get some heat for this, but it often, from being a Christian now 10 years... I find the LDS people much, in many ways, more enjoyable. Um, and, and I mean that because they're culturally uh, defined. They worry about what people think of them. They worry about how they're viewed publicly. And so often their manners are exceptional relative to Christians who are like, hey, man, I'm a sinner. Deal with it, dude. So um, I have never been offended by a Latter-day Saint uh, uh, where, I mean, of course, I had people who made me mad like I made them mad, but that was not my reason for leaving uh, Mormonism. My reason for leaving Mormonism is the doctrines are false.
Okay. All right. Well, I hope, uh, and I, I hope this for myself, and I hope this for everybody who's listening and for you, I hope you live your life by what the Spirit of the Lord tells you and not based on your own understanding of doctrine. And uh, you're my brother, and I love you, and uh, I know you'll find your way back to the light someday. All right, man. Well, thank you for that nice call. May I ask you a question? You bet. Are you born again? Yes, I am born again. What does that mean to you? That means that I've been manifested by the Spirit of the Lord, that what I know and what I've read is true because He tells me it is true through what He tells me through His Spirit. Okay, and that means born again to you? Yes. Why is it a new birth for you to have an understanding or a knowledge? Why, is it, why do you call that a new birth? Because I'm putting away my own understandings and the things that I understand for myself, and I'm, I'm accepting Christ's understanding. I'm accepting the things that He teaches me. Okay, and so how does that manifest itself to you if you were to walk out of your house now and get killed? I'm sorry, say that again. I was listening to the TV. I'm sorry. You've got to turn that off. But if you were to be killed suddenly in the next two minutes, what would that, what would that mean to you? Do you know where you're going, certainly? Yeah, absolutely. As, as, as much as anybody can know. I mean I, 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 I mean, I could stare at a book like you're saying right now, and I could say, yeah, this, this book tells me I'm going to go here, but I'm going to rely on something a lot more powerful than words of a book. I'm going to rely on something that I feel inside of okay. me. Okay, and so uh, where are you going to go? I'm going to go wherever the, de wherever the Lord deems necessary that I should go. Okay, so you're not going to tell me you're going to the celestial kingdom. If the Lord deems necessary, that's where I belong and that's where I'll be. Okay, so what our audience, just to let you see here, that I just read you an email from someone who wrote no in all uppercase letters and said the difference between being LDS and active and knowing Jesus intellectually and then knowing is such a defining moment when you are born again and you know that you are saved. Saved meaning living with God. And there's the difference between our caller and his explanation of spiritual rebirth and how Christians manifest that worldwide no matter how they have been taught. All right? I really appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I hope, I hope you find your way back to life someday, brother. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. We're going to Sarah in or uh Oh, no. We got a Sarah. I'm scared. All right. Sarah in Orem. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Um, <laughs> I just listened to that last conversation. I thought that was interesting. Because yeah. I know when I was born again, what it meant to me, and still means to me, is that I died to this world, and when I was born again in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I live, try to live my life every minute for Him. Yeah. But anywho, this is my question. Yes. Um, wasn't it just... What, 50 years ago that the LDS, chef, LDS church still maintained that they didn't want to be considered a Christian church? Well, uh, yeah, and even Gordon B. Hinckley is just as recently as uh, three or four years ago maintained that we're not Christian in the sense that the Christians understand Jesus. So it wasn't even 50 years ago. Their, their prophet today says, no, we're not. It's they the, get so offended if you... If, I mean, I've had a couple of people get really offended because they say, they say, are you LDS? And I say, no, I'm Christian. And they, yeah, they've really gotten upset with me. And I go, well, you know, you're LDS. Can't, why can't you call yourself LDS? What's wrong with that? Jew doesn't mind being called Jew. Right. You know, so I just, I just wondered, because I thought it was with, within the last 50 years. So I'm glad that uh, Hinckley had said about it, too, because I've been, I've been born in now since 1998. Well, it's a really good point, Sarah, uh, because Latter-day Saints, they truly believe when they say we're Christian, too, that they are Christian. 
but they understand Christianity, meaning that they intellectually assent to the idea that Jesus came and he atoned, remember, he atoned for sin and he made it possible for them to go and live with God through a progression of kingdoms until they are purified. And, right. and you know, that is, we know as Christians from the Bible who have experienced rebirth, we know that the old man dies, the new man is there, and they just don't get that. They don't understand. So they're, they're understandably uh, angry, but it, it doesn't make any sense when it comes to the facts, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. By the way, I'm really glad that your name is Sarah and you were nice. You just broke a trend. Oh, well, what? You mean S-A-R-A? Yeah, all the Sarahs in the past have just turned out to be brutally mean to me. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. well, I, 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 was, I went to Denny's two weeks ago when you first went over there and we met. Oh, well, good. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. You have a good night. Thanks so much, Bye. Sarah. Bye-bye. We're going to Jerry and Roy. Jerry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Jerry. Hey, I need some advice on how to pray for my wife. We've been married for 20 years, and she's a she's an ex-Temple Mormon. But she went through the temple by herself, uh-huh. and she says that I don't know how to pray for a Mormon because I've never been involved in the Mormon Church. She says she says those religious ceremonies that they did in the temple with her. Uh-huh. She is so afraid and in fear that I don't know how to, I don't know how to pray for her. Wow, she, they're, uh, they're trying to kill her and stuff. Yeah, that's an interesting question, the way it's phrased. How do you pray for your wife? I, you know, I would, I, I mean, my prayer for my wife when she was uh, a believing Latter-day Saint, or my prayer for your wife would be, Lord, give her freedom from the bondage of uh, this religion. Okay. And, and just, just free her from the bondage. And let me be a tool in your hands of love to help her see the freedom and liberty I have in Christ. Not a licentiousness, but the liberty that Jesus gives me. And you know, uh, everybody's different, and some people take years for those shackles of bondage to fall from them, and other people can shed them really quickly. See, she's having a real problem. We moved back here five years ago from Colorado. Oh. And she moved back here to take care of her mother, who was a Mormon, and her whole family's Mormon. I see. And well, her mother was also narcissistic with her, so. Oh, wow. Well, listen, Jerry, uh, you know what? Go to our website and, and submit your wife's name, and we'll have a bunch of Christians who go to the website and pray for those people, and we'll join in and try to offer our prayers, and our sovereign God will step in when the time is right for her, and he will change your heart. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that, and God bless you guys. God bless you, Jerry. Thanks so much. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, we have uh, something I'm supposed to read here. Marcus is telling me I must read it, and so I will. I am an ex-Mormon and I'm having a hard time dealing with my LDS family. I'm tired of defending myself to them. Any suggestions? The, the problem is I don't know if you're just an ex-Mormon or if you're an ex-Mormon who's now a Christian. And so we'd have to answer that in different ways depending on what, what the situation is. Uh, and so I'm not going to answer that, but call or email me and we can talk about that later. But I want to point out that one of the fruits of Mormonism, and we're bringing this up more and more, is that people who fall away from it usually are just ex-Mormons who uh, become a nihilist or a hedonist or an atheist or an agnostic or something. And, and it's so such an amazing blessing when they become Christians. So that's what our purpose is. Please uh, email us and we'll talk about that. Tim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Mr. McCraney, how's things? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Hey, uh, I just wanted to call in and uh, I just... just thank you again for your show 
good topics. Uh, I, 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 I believe this, that uh, in, the, in, in keeping in the discussion of, of being saved, I don't have a waking moment anymore where I don't feel just completely ingratiated for Lord Jesus Christ and for the atonement that he did to save me from my sins. Awesome. You know, I, I, it, 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 was, it was the most humbling experience I've ever had in my life, and, and, and I'll never forget it. And uh, I'm sympathetic with a lot of the LDS faithful in that it, it's difficult and it's difficult for me right now to, uh, uh, you know, deal with some of my family members and, and, and those kinds of things. But even in dealing with them uh, in, in questions of, of religion and the spirit, uh, something that I never had while I was serving my mission, because I was a firm believer, I bore my testimony just like all the missionaries do. Right. I was sincere in heart and intent. Uh-huh. But at no point, at no point, do, did, did I then uh, 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 just consistently in my heart feel a, a shoot? I'm getting choked up now thinking about thinking about you know our Lord Savior and what He's done for me. Right. Where I could very matter of factly, like a professor at a university, explain the gospel doctrines as it was taught to me and tell them it was true, and that was that. Right. And, and for me, uh, the, the whole spiritual rebirth is something that just literally starts right in my stomach and burns right up into my heart, out my throat. That is, that is just awesome and so timely and well put, Tim. I really appreciate the call. Hey, it's, it's good to see you back in town. And I missed you at the, at the, well, I went to Squatters last week, tried to catch up with you, but I'll catch up with you one of these days. All right, my brother. Thanks so much. Take care, man. Okay, bye-bye. You know, the, uh, when, when you are born again, we've kind of on this topic tonight. We're going to pick up Kelly in a second from Salt Lake. But when you're born again, how Tim described that is it is, a, it is an all-consuming presence with you all the time. It varies in strength, but you, you are praising God. You are thanking God. You see the world in a completely different way, and you see yourself relative to God for what you really are. When you ask a Latter-day Saint if they've been born again, they give you an intellectual textbook answer, and when you start to delve, they start to equivocate on certain points. With a Christian, boom! It's always the same metaphysical explanations of what has happened and how they view the Lord and themselves from thereafter. There's a, there's a tangible difference so I hope that you're, if you're a Latter-day Saint and you can't express it in those terms, that you start to search out and find out why. All right, Kelly in Salt Lake City, line one. Kelly, you're on Heart of the Matter. I'm not. I'm not what's that? You're on the air, Kelly. you got to turn your TV off. Okay. Okay, let me mute. Okay, I'm muted. Okay, hello? Hey, Kelly, I can still hear it. No, 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 you can't hear my TV. I muted it. Okay, you're on the air. Okay, I'm on the air. You are. Okay, um, uh, I'd like to know. Okay, I'm I'm like formerly LDS. I'm the only person in my family that has got out of it. I have one niece that I mean she's gone into into Catholicism, but anyway, but but all of my um uh, um uh, sisters and brother-in-laws and whatnot, they they have one standard statement. Um, you know, 
I say everything that's happened in the past and all that kind of stuff, they say it doesn't matter because we have a living prophet now, and the living prophet now is telling us what to do. See, because even if Joseph Smith was wrong, the living prophet now is right. Okay? Yeah. And so, and so I really wish, oh, I really wish that I could listen to everything. But anyway, and then, okay, actually, and it was really, and, okay, actually, I would like to listen to, you know, if you have some advice of what I can say to that, because everything I say, they shut down. Yeah. With one standard answer. We have a living prophet now, and everything in the past doesn't matter. And I'd really like to hang up now oh, and oh. listen to your response. Okay, Kelly. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, a few thoughts come to mind. First of all, um, they say it doesn't matter. So Joseph Smith, his revelations, which were faulty, they don't matter. Brigham Young saying that blacks would never hold the priesthood, it doesn't matter. It was false, but it doesn't matter because today they have a living prophet, the same kind of living prophet that Joseph and Brigham was. So how do they know the things Gordon B. Hinckley saying today aren't wrong and a lie? And then when he dies and the new prophet comes in and they find out what Gordon said was wrong, they can say, well, it doesn't matter because, I mean, all they're doing is living in one lie to the next generation after generation. With Jesus, you always have the truth, capital T. So my advice to you, Kelly, on your family is I wouldn't bring up anything about history with them. Uh, so that they can say it doesn't matter. I just talk about their relationship. I talk about being saved. And if they know that they, when they die, they're going to live with God uh, at that point and just continue to show them love and don't bring up the arguments because literally they won't see or hear. Their hearts have waxed cold in many uh, uh, circumstances to learning and they just go on. Uh, let me read an email. We have another guy, but let me read this email to you. I want to clear something up. I'd like to thank you for your wonderful work in Christ. I would like to know if you are the mighty uh, and strong one come to put the church in order. This is from Lisa. Uh, Joseph Smith, in the Doctrine and Covenants, they talk about a mighty and strong one who will come and set the church in order. Most of the polygamous churches uh, today that are offshoots of, of, of the LDS church uh, their leaders will claim to be the mighty and strong one who has restored um, the church and put it back in order through, the, through polygamy. And many of their leaders will claim to be this mighty and strong one. Um, historically, the mighty and strong one revelation was relative to the Missouri saints stepping up and doing what Joseph Smith wanted them to do in establishing Zion and consecrating all their goods. And he warned them in a revelation saying, a mighty and strong one is going to come in and he's gonna set the church straight in that area. And yet people continue to try to apply that revelation to the present day. I want you to know, really, just point blank, I am weak and uh, I am not mighty. I'm a donkey. I'm a musty clam, as many have said tonight. I have no uh, connection to anybody who claims to be mighty and strong. We're going to go to Matthew and Murray on line three. Matthew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Uh, how you doing? Good, Matthew. How are you? I'm great. Hey, uh, you know who I am, but uh, I'm not going to tell you my identity. But uh, anybody who says you're a musty clam doesn't know science because I think you're a very handsome guy. Hey, thanks. Um, next, uh, I had a question about um, baptism of the dead. Okay. My question is, I got into a... 
conversation with a person at work, and they kept telling me that in the New Testament, uh, it says to baptize the dead. And I, I know my Bible literature fairly well, but the problem is, whenever I tell him, he would throw something back in my face that didn't add up to Scripture. It was like they skewed Scripture. I'm pretty new to the area, and uh, I don't really uh, know Mormonism that well. Right. Do they always, like, skew Scripture like that? Yeah. They, uh, they take a literal and selective approach to Scripture. And I'll, at the beginning of next week's show, because we've got a minute left, Matthew, I'll talk about that baptism of the dead Scripture. But they just take, a, they'll take, they'll select a Scripture and they'll apply it literally to a doctrine to support the practice. It, contextually, that verse has nothing to do with the reality. And baptism for the dead, uh, they will always selectively and, and then apply it literally to their doctrines. Well, I, I, I always thought it was you know, a question that he was putting them. You know, do we, should we be like the pagans who baptize the dead? Yeah, yeah, exactly, it is. And we'll talk about it next week. Matthew, i got to hit it. All right, later. Thanks for calling. Bye. Listen, Pastor in the Pub is at Denny's on 5th South. Uh, beginning about 9.30, and hey, tomorrow night is my daughter, my youngest daughter's first day of high school. I won't be there to see you enter that lion's den, but I love you, I'm proud of you. Follow your senior sister's example, and go get them. And good job, Mallory. Uh, you really passed a great test. And happy birthday to Dell and Lucy. And uh, until we meet again next week, keep studying that word, go to the Lord, Ask him to take over your sinful heart, to forgive you now and forever for your sins, and to give you new birth in him. It will happen. It's a reality. We pray for that for the Latter-day Saints of this state. See you next week. Mm -hmm.